Hey and welcome in film fans, this is the SDFP, the second day film podcast. We're so glad you're listening in on this Wednesday, the 2nd of May. We have got a huge show coming up for you today. We're going to be reviewing the summer blockbuster, Avengers Infinity War. Got my two amigos with me, uh, the popcorn correspondent. Uh, Actually, I'm going to go by Thanos today. Well, right across from Thanos is a worthy adversary. We've got Champ rocking the Captain America shirt today. How you doing, Champ? I am Steve Rogers. (laughs) All right, we've got a whole lot to get to today. We've got Throwback Theater. This is where we talk about films from a particular year, something we really liked and something we didn't like so much. And this pod, we're talking about the year 2000, the new millennium. Got some good ones for you. And then, of course, the featured review of Infinity War. A whole lot to talk about with that film. But before we jump in, we want to let you know, as we always do, there's a whole lot of ways to connect with us. And this is important, you know, for our pod, Champ. We want people to connect with us. Yeah, please reach out, interact, comment, like. Uh, We're on Facebook at the Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, We're on SoundCloud at the Second Day Film Podcast. Search us on iTunes and uh, like, rate, review. Uh, Super important, sort of like a podcast tip jar, as I've said before. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter at Second Day Film. That's all written out. Our email is secondayfilm at gmail.com, and our website is secondayfilm.com. And we've got business cards. Yeah, that's a big deal. We've actually recruited four members, all movie theater employees, because we have not built the courage yet to actually hand them out to strangers. But I think we've made a lasting impact by giving them to four Celebration Film employees. There you go. We've got new school and old school ways to connect. That's important to us. All right, guys, you ready to jump into today's pod? So first up, throwback theater. And we are going back 18 years, the new millennium. This is a big year. There were some huge hit films. Uh, we've got... How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Actually, the number one blockbuster. Yeah, right. I don't think I'd count that. But what I'm thinking of, you know, big movies, guys, we've got, remember, the Titans, we've got Gladiator, just to, to name a couple. But, Champ, you're kind of going against the grain here. Maybe starting us off with something that's not what everybody thinks of right away when they think of, you know... Films from the year 2000. Yeah, I mean, Remember the Titans, one of my favorite movies. Gladiator is one of my favorite movies. Uh, the Patriot with Mel Gibson mm-hmm. um, is also one of my favorite movies about the Revolutionary War. Um, but I kind of feel like most people know about those movies. And, I, and part of our goal in this segment, and really the podcast in general, is to provide people with sort of recommendations of movies that maybe have slipped through the cracks. Yeah. Um, with that being said, I chose a movie uh, called Frequency from 2000. This movie was directed by Gregory Hoblet, who's, uh, I looked at his filmography, hasn't really done too much else, uh, but this movie stars Dennis Quaid, Jim Caviezel, Elizabeth Mitchell, and Andre Brower, and Noah Emmerich. Uh, the plot on IMDb, an accidental cross-time radio link connects father and son across 30 years. The son tries to save his father's life, but then must fix the consequences. Um... So this is a movie that deals with time travel, which can always be uh, sort of a convoluted, complicated concept. Um, Is this a perfect film? No. In fact, it has very obvious story flaws uh, when you start examining examining sort of the whole time travel elements. Um, But I really just love the idea of the movie um, that a father and son could magically connect after losing each other. Uh, the relationship between Quaid, who plays the dad, and Cavizel, yeah. who plays the son, uh, really carries the movie since they're communicating on this old radio um, throughout it. Um, and, and even though they're physically separated within the movie, you can really feel the connection between them. It feels believable as a father and son. The story's cool. It starts out as sort of like a straightforward, changing history thing. Um, but then it sort of pivots and goes in a really interesting direction. Um, it's, it's pretty creepy, actually. Um, it becomes a movie you don't expect, I would say. Um, and, it, and it's thrilling to try and watch Quaid and Caviezel try and figure things out and unravel what's going on. Um, the whole time there's these uh, northern lights that are sort of uh, shown above the, the house. And I, and I mentioned when we talked about the terror last week how that show made the northern lights look really creepy. I had forgotten that it, this was in this movie as well, and it's sort of the same thing. It's a good movie about family, the power of family, and might, what you might do if you had a second chance. And I think it's one that sort of flies under the radar that people should check out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of the films that involve time travel, there's often that theme of, like, there was a mistake or something that happened, and I want to go back and change it. But it never really plays out the way that they think it will 
when the future returns. I mean, is that something that we see in this movie? Definitely. It definitely plays on the ideas of how, how you know, every little thing you do um, in the past sort of affects what happens in the future. It has to do with destiny and sort of uh, the butterfly effect, if you will. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting movie. It's entertaining. Yeah, I've not seen it. How about you? Frequency. Um, yeah, well, when he was, you know, when Champ really got into diving in about the movie, it sounded so familiar. Um, I know that I've, you know, seen a lot of movies from 2000. I was a little younger. But um, actually, there's a, it's actually a Netflix series. 2016, 2017 came out with uh, 14 episodes of a frequency. Same concept. It's based so, on that movie. Yeah, it's based right on the movie, yeah. And it stars Riley Smith, who starred in Motocross, a Disney original. One of my favorites. So you've seen that Netflix series? I, I saw the Netflix series, yeah. You I, liked it? Yeah, it was great. I would. I was hoping they would come out with another season, but they haven't yet. How about you, Champ? Nope. Well, there you go. I mean, if Frequency is your, your movie, then uh, maybe that's a show to check out as well. Sam, what about you? What's something you really liked from the year 2000? Um, I kind of went the same kind of route as, uh, as Brandon did. Um, when you look at lists of, you know, top movies in 2000, how the Grinch Stole Christmas, Castaway, Mission Impossible 2, Gladiator, What Women Want are the top five grossing films that year. <laughs> what Women Want. <laughs> Mel had a good year, guys. <laughs> hey, I actually love that movie. It's, it's so, pretty dang funny, I will admit. And I, and I mean, like, you know, Remember the Titans, The Patriot, Chicken Run, Nutty Professor, Big Mama's House. Those are all movies, you know, that we all watched. Um, top 20. But I went a little different route, and I said Pay It Forward, um, starring uh, Haley Joel Osment and uh, Kevin Spacey. Um, it's a it's a story about how a kid wants to change the world. Um, a young boy attempts to make the world a better place after his teacher gives him that chance. You know that's and, and the teacher being Kevin Spacey. Um, Kevin Spacey's kind of uh, out there. He had an abusive father, um, just kind of like sheltered to himself, kind of quiet. Um, Osment's mom, alcoholic, single mom, dad in and out of the house, beats her. So he grew up in a really rough environment. And for a kid at, you know, the age of 12 to come on to his, to his teacher and say, I want to do pay it forward. So his whole thing was if three people, you know, pay it forward and you tell them that they have to do it for three people. So just an example out of there, this guy got to pay it forward, you know, it's like kind of like sitting at McDonald's and someone paying for your meal before you get up there. We, we've done it. Pay it forward. Yeah. Well, this is from a 12 year old in a movie sense and the guy gets out of his car, gives his car away, you know, just like that. Like that's a little over the top. Um, but all in all, it's a great story. Like, I really, it touched home with me. Um, I think we need to find a way to make the world a little bit of a better place. And this movie kind of had good, keen ideas of it. Um, critically, it was reviewed pretty decently. Um, obviously, the story was a little far-fetched. So that's where it kind of poked some holes in it. Um, all in all, it was one that, to be honest with you, I didn't even, like, rent and watch or go to the theaters and watch. It was on, like, FX or AMC. And you just kind of... You know, what was the name of that movie? And you always had to search it. And then, uh, yeah. yeah, it was a good one for me. I really liked it. Pay it forward. Yeah, I, I, you know, before and, and aside of from Kevin Spacey's personal trials and tribulations that came out this past year, those aside, because he's dealing with some stuff, he's one of the best actors of this generation. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, I don't know if this is his best film. American Beauty was the year before. That was amazing. Um, but, yeah, Kevin Spacey's a solid actor. He's... he plays a, a, a pretty powerful role in this film. And this was Haley Joe Osment. This was like capitalizing on his kid success. This was right after The Sixth Sense. He was a huge name um, when he was just a kid and kind of fell off the map. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think the film itself is, because I've seen it a couple times mm -hmm. too, Sam, it's a little bit preachy at times. But I think the one thing in how you feel about this film is how you feel about the ending and how you feel about what happens without giving anything away. It's kind of like a moment that happens in the film that some fans consider almost unforgivable. Like, you lose them when that moment happens. Right. And others thought it was important and powerful to the film. Uh, Champ, have you seen this? you know what I'm talking about? I haven't seen this movie, so... Okay. Go ahead and give us your, uh, your uh, 2000 pick. Yeah, so uh, Champ uh, knows in my late high school and college days, I kind of really started to explore films outside the mainstream. And this film has some big names, a big name director, but it really is a, a bit off the beaten path. And my uh, 2000 film is Requiem for a Dream. This is based on a book by American writer Hubert Selby Jr. It's directed by Darren Aronofsky. Of course, he also directed Pie, The Wrestler, Black Swan, among others, and true to Darren Aronofsky, this is a dark psychological thriller. 
Uh, the story takes place on Coney Island, starring Jared Leto as Harry Goldfarb. Uh, his mother is played by Alan Burstyn, his girlfriend played by Jennifer Connelly, and his best friend played by Marlon Wayans. And really, this film is about the very worst of drug addiction. We follow these four characters as their big dreams kind of slowly start to slip out of their grasp. They, they just totally spiral and free fall deeper into their addictions. And Aronofsky, he really pulls you into their world and their psyche. And it's a stylish film. Uh, it's almost hard to explain, but Aronofsky uses quick cuts, quick sounds, close-up shots, particularly during scenes with drug use. And the way he shoots certain scenes, it not only shows you how the characters are feeling while on these drugs, but it also kind of almost tries to give the viewer the idea of what it would be like while on that drug. And it's not just cocaine or heroin. We've got Ellen Burstyn, who's captivating. She was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. She's a retiree who becomes addicted to weight loss pills as part of kind of her delusion to make it into this red dress and then make it onto this reality TV show. She slips into kind of a delusionary world beyond reality as part of her addiction. And there are some stunning uh, dream sequences as part of this film. Um, you know, the further and further they slip into their addiction and the darker and darker they fall, we, we get some more of those dreams as to what they wish they had. And this is all tied together by composer Clint Mansell. Uh, he produced the music for this film. It's absolutely haunting. If you go through and find and search on YouTube... Requiem for a Dream soundtrack, you'll find a full list of songs because that kind of pulled this whole movie together. And, it, and you know, I, I will say, um, so many movies, you know, this is a sobering film. I mean, pun intended, it's sobering. So often in the world of film, we're kind of given cliched endings, guys, where everybody kind of makes it out okay and we get a happy, pleasant ending, but not in this film. I mean, it is brutal. It's an honest look at drug addiction in America. Not a film that you want to watch if you want to walk away with a happy, pleasant feeling, but if you want a film that'll leave its mark on you, try Requiem for a Dream. All right, so now we're going to jump into the movies that maybe we didn't like as much, or maybe we felt came up a little short, or were maybe a little overrated, or maybe you just plain didn't like it. Um, so my movie is a movie called The Beach uh, from 2000, which was directed by Danny Boyle, stars Leonardo DiCaprio, so we got a, a big star-studded combo right there. The plot on IMDb, 20-something Richard travels to Thailand and finds himself in, it, in possession of a strange map. Rumors state that it leads to a solitary beach paradise. Excited and intrigued, he sets out to find it. Uh, we actually briefly talked about this movie when we re reviewed Annihilation a few months back because the director of that movie, uh, Alex Garland, actually wrote the book that this movie was based on. Um, it's a pretty deep movie that tries to hit on several themes but doesn't really do any of them well in my opinion. Um, there's sort of some delusion with society, there's escapism, there's anarchy uh, and the nature of man, um, so some deep stuff, but the, the movie, in my opinion, ultimately comes across a little too surface level, unfocused and muddled. Um, we have a cool setup here with Leo, um, but once, and it's cool as he's sort of looking into the mystery of the island, but once he actually gets there, I feel like the plot doesn't really do anything for me, and uh, the sort of Paradise Lost stuff that Boyle is going for doesn't really work, in my opinion. Um, I will say the cinematography and production design is incredible. It was filmed on Koh Phi Phi Island in Thailand, hmm. um, so there's sort of these lush living jungles and crystal blue waters around the beach, um, so it's beautiful to look at. Uh, unfortunately, the story happening within the dream paradise uh, ends up being more like a nightmare <laughs> when it comes to sort of concise, focused storytelling. Um, so, a classic case of good setup, bad execution, in my opinion. Yeah, and I've not seen, I've not seen the beach, and I'm a huge Leo fan. He's my favorite actor, and I think perhaps the reason maybe I didn't see it is because I knew and I've heard so many bad things about it. And keep in mind, this is like early 2000s. This is like post. Just after Titanic, the movie I mean, the movie did massive at the box oh, yeah. office, and most people attribute to that to the fact that Leo's star after Titanic was exploding. Yeah, him and Tom Hanks at that point were just you couldn't find anybody bigger. But that's interesting. You know, it's tough when you have a movie with a big name, and he's a fantastic actor, and it fails 
despite them. And a director like Danny Boyle, who's given us films like Train Spotting, Slumdog Millionaire, yeah. among others. Mm. Um, so the fact that this combo didn't quite work, um, and, and it's based on well-received source material as well, um, is is surprising. Mm. Yeah, so um, I've seen it too, big Leo fan, just like you yeah. are, Dean. Um, I would probably say the same thing you did, Champ. I just didn't catch me, snatch me, whatever you want to say, keep me focused, whatever. Um, Dean, it did, what did, it didn't catch you like Leo caught that shark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good way to put it there. So, um, Dean, what did didn't like? Like, yeah, I mean, not, so I, I looked through all the films that I've watched and rated, and from two thousand, and there wasn't anything that totally stuck out as something I thought was a disappointment. So I wanted to ask you guys about one film in particular to see if you had seen it, and the film is called Battlefield Earth, starring John Travolta. It is this space epic, and this thing, this movie cleaned up, cleaned up at the Razzies. Like, I'm saying, it, which is the awards for the worst films, it took home every major award. Family Video offers, like, you don't even have to win a gumball that says winner or the color of the thing, and you get to take this movie home for free. Yeah. Like, it's just like, hey, we'll pair this movie up with well, it. Well, look, sometimes you have big ideas and big budgets and big names, and like The Beach, Battlefield Earth obviously didn't work out. But, Sam, let's let's switch to you. What about you? What did you have that you didn't like from 2000? Oh, I mean, I was looking at them all, and I kind of made a, a run, of, run of them all uh, there for you. I didn't really have one that I didn't like or enough that I wanted to speak on. Mm -hmm. So I kind of went with a different route and like maybe my second favorite or one that I thought might be worth noting. Okay, um, roll with that. We were talking about Star Studded Cast and uh, mine would be The Perfect Storm. Um, I reference it way too much to not like it or to not bring it up. Um, George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, William Fitchner, John C. Riley. It just shows like the perseverance <laughs> and like the drive that these guys have on like, you know, you're stuck in the middle of the ocean with nowhere nowhere to go you know like you're, sure. you're in the middle of nowhere um you get stuck in the eye of this big storm that's just like you know gonna encase your boat they're 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 shoveling water out of there they're you know you know someone has to take lead Clooney, um and kind of <laughs> just like do this do that we need to do this we got to make sure we do this and and it's just it was like the survival you know kind of scares me at most is like even going out on a boat is just like Getting stuck in the middle. No, I mean, like I think open that's water a fair or question. Open water has long been one of my uh, biggest fears, honestly. Oh, like yeah. Just deep, dark water where you can't see what's under it. And then you throw in waves into it, uh, like out in the ocean in the perfect storm, and you got a whole lot. Just to recap uh, the year of 2000 in movies before we move on to Avengers Infinity War, uh, best picture from that year, like we said, some of our favorites, Gladiator. Uh, Steven Sober Soderbergh collected best director for Traffic. Uh, Russell Crowe uh, for Best Actor in Gladiator. Best Actress was Julia Roberts uh, in Aaron Brockovich, another great movie. Best Supporting Actor, Benicio Del Toro in Traffic. And Best Supporting Actress was Marsha Gray Harden in Pollock. There you go. Chip's sitting over here like, damn it, why am I the only one who follows the rules? Because <laughs> we definitely, you know, went off the path here. But, you know, I think well, it was I'm used good. to it in your case, Look, Dean. look, I, I think it was good, though. We were able to offer up some movies outside of the ones you just listed. Everybody knows. Should those. we bring up when Dean showed up at the movies last night, or should we wait for spoilers? Mm, well, <laughs> there's no spoiler there. All right, guys, let's move on to our featured review. It is Marvel's historic blockbuster, Avengers Infinity War. There was an idea. So obviously, guys, I, uh, I've been frantically trying to catch up. I wanted to update all of our listeners who are regular listeners. I was able to get through 16 out of the 18 Marvel films before Avengers Infinity War. The only ones I missed were Doctor Strange and Spider-Man Homecoming. A valiant effort. I'm proud of myself. Sam was ripping on me for being late to the theater. That's because I had just finished... Thor Ragnarok, like right before. Uh, but anyway, this movie is the 19th of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're that many along. Directed by Anthony Russo and Joe Russo. And obviously you've got 
a star-studded cast. I mean, you've got all of the big names. Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Don Cheadle, Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Holland, Chadwick Boseman, Tom Hiddleston. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, Champ, you were joking about who the 17th name was. Idris Elba. I don't think he's ever been the 17th billing in a movie before. (laughs) Yeah, this was just a huge film. And let's let's get right to what we thought about it and what we felt about it. Uh, The plot here, guys, from IMDb simply says, The Avengers and their allies must be willing to sacrifice all in an attempt to defeat the powerful Thanos before his blitz of devastation and ruin puts an end to the universe. So, pre-spoilers here, we're going to talk a little bit generally about what we thought. I guess let's go right to you, Champ. What'd you think? Well, I mean, the first thing you have to talk about when you talk about Avengers Infinity War is not Thanos. (laughs) You talk about the scope and scale of this movie. Um, This movie has, you know, uh, 20-plus important badass characters to juggle, uh, you know, 18 movies that were made across 10 years, um, you know, and it's really unprecedented to see a sort of crossover event in cinema like this. Um, so, uh, you know, that it was just so cool. I think the main thing and the main reason that everyone's getting a kick out of this is because of just to just see all the heroes on screen in the same movie was epic. Um, for the most part, I, re- I really loved this movie. Um, I thought that it... it the, Directors did a good job balancing all the characters and giving everyone a good amount of screen time. The CGI in action is great. Um, you know, even at two hours and 37 minutes, you know, some people might say the runtime was a little long. It didn't bother me. I was into every second of it, and uh, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the visuals and special effects are stunning in this film. You oh, know, yeah. the audience, you know, were following various groups of superheroes. There's so many, they kind of jump off into factions were pulled from one world to another it's a true showcase i think of what the mcu has created all of the universes all of the worlds the big budget that accompanies the film what i think most pleasantly surprised me about this film is how funny it was you know this was easily in my opinion the funniest of the three avenger films i think that's in part because we had some new Marvel characters, uh, particularly the Guardians of the Galaxy characters are in this, and they bring a lot of humor to it. Uh, Certain moments were just hilarious. It was fun to see in the first half hour the crossover and certain characters meeting each other for the very first time. And, yeah, I mean, I I thought that, you know, it was just an epic film. I mean, I don't know how else you you describe just how big this film was. Sam, what would you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you there with how being funny it was. Um, we heard the uproar in the theater, and that's what kind of like, you know, we say, you go to the, the movie theater for an experience. Um, so to hear everyone getting in tune with it, laughing, you know, at funny scenes. Like, it was it was a great movie. You said it too, Champ, really well. All the action scenes kept you in your seat. You wanted to see more. Um, I thought it might be kind of cool to go see it in a D-Box just to see, or even an IMAX, I would have thought. I know before I stated that I wanted to see it in the IMAX, um, just because I think the loud would have just added more to it, not that it took any away from it whatsoever. A um, lot of action, a lot of humor, and like you get you, the blending of the characters really was a kick for me too. Well, not even just the humor. I think the humor was well-timed, right? Because this oh, yeah. is an intense, you know, emotional movie that we're dealing with here. Obviously, it's, this, it's the culmination of all these films. So it's not really a comedy. I mean, there's a intense, important stuff going on. But the comedy within it really helps and it's well timed because it sort of helps to break up the sort of dreariness that this movie can have at certain points and I think to have the humor pop in and out mostly through the Guardians of the Galaxy and and Thor and And Tony Stark and Tony Stark of course uh, with his sort of one-liners really helps to sort of lighten it up a little bit and be like okay we're still watching a comic book movie. Yeah I agree. Were you surprised by just how funny it was? I, I really wasn't because I I, I, what I was wondering is if the Russos were going to be able to sort of balance the sort of gritty, uh, grounded tone that we see in the Avengers, particularly through Captain America and Black yeah. Widow and his crew, and balance that with the sort of cosmic uh, wackiness that we've seen in the Guardians of the Galaxy films or Thor Ragnarok. And because the characters, you know, were sort of jumping around the worlds, like you said, you can sort of change the tone from scene to scene, I feel like, which is a weird thing to say about a movie that we're actually praising, that the tone is changing. But because you have so many different characters and the groundwork has been laid throughout the other movies, the sort of tones of those movies, I think it works. 
Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that they do a, a, make a point to feature some of the funnier characters more than those who aren't as funny. At least that's what it felt like to me. And that's why I got as many laughs as I did. Um, anything else you guys really liked before we get to maybe what we didn't like in pre-spoilers? Yeah. Thanos. Well, yeah, I mean, I think Thanos is a, is a good villain, and I'm going to get in more into that in, I will too. in uh, the spoiler section. Um, I like... Like I said, I another big concern of mine was we talked about this in the Avengers, how there was only the original Avengers, how there was six heroes to balance. Now we've got like twenty characters to try and balance. So I was worried how they were going to integrate them all together, how they were going to give them all due justice. Um, I guess a two hour, two and a half hour, two hour and forty minute runtime gives you the opportunity to sort of like focus on that more. But I really do think they did a good job balancing the the sort of. Um, personalities, balancing the, the characteristics of the different characters. Um, so I really think that that worked well. Um, before we get into what we didn't like, Evan, I wanted to ask you a question. You mentioned how you came straight from Thor Ragnarok. Um, and, and obviously, um, you know, this movie picks up shortly after Thor yeah. Ragnarok ends. Um, so I, I was wondering if, um, you know, and me and Sam, we haven't seen the movies in a while, but coming directly from Thor, how do you think that impacted the way that you watch this movie? Would you say that it was beneficial? Yeah, I think that for me, you know, I think just seeing all of the films in general over the past few weeks, um, it, it, I think it was in terms of the story. You, you, I, I had it so fresh in my mind, all of the little nuance and the subtleties and all of the things that happened and the, the little jokes here and there that you uh, referenced you know, that they reference to prior films. Um, but I also think it was interesting because it gave me such a chance to compare and contrast this film with some of the other Marvel films. And I'll dive into that more a little bit in spoilers. But yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it was a process getting through all of those movies. And, and I kind of muttered to you in the theater at the, at the opening scene, I'm like, well, I'm glad I saw Thor Ragnarok. It was important to get to those. I do think it's kind of ironic that you came literally straight from Ragnarok to Avengers Infinity War, and that's literally what happens in the movie. It's kind of like some yeah. uh, poetic justice, I guess you could say. Yeah, it worked out well. Um, you know, I think before we get to spoilers, i got a couple little knocks on this. Champ, you said you felt like they balanced out all of the characters and they gave everybody their fair screen time. I have to disagree a little bit on that point. Uh, we knew going in that the directors had a huge challenge in their hands in trying to not make this movie seem crowded. you got so many characters, so many heroes that so many people care about. And I don't know how much they were actually concerned with it. I think they did the best they could at giving all their characters their screen time. But if you're a fan of a couple characters, heroes in particular, and you really went to see them kick ass and to see them have their moments... I think you were let down. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I know who you might be talking about. And I feel like part of that is because this is the start of the story. This is the first half of the of two planned Avengers films yeah. dealing with the Infinity War. And I think because this is the start and Thanos is coming from space, I think that there was more of an emphasis on the characters that actually hang out in space. I mean, they, you know, what we find, you know, uh, with the Guardians and, and Thor and the characters that are sort of in the cosmic realm, maybe some more of the the earthly grounded characters got short of the short end yeah. of the stick, but I would expect that to come back towards the middle a little bit in the next Avengers film. And that might, and for people who went into it not knowing that it was going to be two parts, they might be disappointed, but you're right, all of those points are fair, and I think that they did the best they could. It's just really hard to fit in however many superheroes you have. My other one knock was, you know, I mean, there was a head-spinning amount of action in this film, we would jump at times from battle scene to battle scene to battle scene. And it was impressive. I mean, it was a feat. It was a marvel, you know, pun intended. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think this film <laughs> quite had the heart or the thought-provoking concepts that we got in some of the other films. Maybe that's partly because, Champ, it is a part one. But i got to view it as a standalone film. And, and because of that, those are my criticisms. Well, actually, I was going to ask both of you about that is... Without getting into spoilers, of course, do you think that this movie fares well as a standalone movie? Like, would it work if you hadn't seen any of the other movies? In other words, is this a good movie based on its own merit, or does it just capitalize on the success of the films that lead up to it? Are they just literally drawing off the fact that all these other movies and characters are established, and it's just like a bunch of little individual scenes rather than a cohesive movie? I think it would work as, as a standalone. Um, personally, I mean, if you haven't seen any of the other films, you wouldn't know as much, I guess. Like, there's a lot more underlying to it 
than what's, you know, at the surface, I would say. I mean, there's so much established in this movie that, you know, you need to know. I just feel like there's so much that's happened in the 18 films before, especially in the Captain America films, especially in the, the last Thor film. I mean, there's... I think if you went into it and you hadn't watched the other films, you might be confused, or at the very least, not get some of the references. Yeah, well, of course you're not going to have the context and the depth of characters, um, but... I think what we need to realize is this movie was never meant to be judged on its own merit. These characters have all been built up throughout sure, their own movies. And so maybe if the develop, the character development and depth and heart isn't felt as much in this movie, you know, maybe that's because they've already spent so much time doing it. You know, I, th I think it was, I think there was efforts made, particularly on some of maybe like the second and third tier characters. I think there was some good efforts made to sort of, uh, deepen their characters and deepen them as fully-fledged superheroes. Um, so, is it Marvel's best film? I wouldn't say so. I'd say it's probably teetering definitely in my top five. I'm not sure it would cut my top three, but I don't know. Where yeah. would you guys put it? I'm right there with you. I think of... For me, I think my favorite three, I'll just get to them, yep. Civil War, the first Avengers, and the first yep. Iron Man were my three favorite. And you make a good point, Champ. I mean, they've established so many of these characters, and if you've seen it, you're right. I mean, you you know, they, they've laid the groundwork for these personalities. But other films, and I'll dive into this in spoilers, pulled more from what they had laid. I do think that the Russo brothers were kind of assuming that a, a large portion of this audience will have been familiar with Marvel and familiar with the characters. And maybe they took a few shortcuts in terms of that kind of stuff yeah. in this movie to get to other things, like action and moving the plot forward. I think it's critical that you've seen the Marvel films to see this movie. I would agree. That's coming that you from a two-week... I mean, I, I'm just pointing that out that you've seen them in the last two weeks... But I would agree. But I agree that it's 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 important too. But I was just because like I'm kind of going off of what Champ said earlier about how does that this movie impact your viewing, having seen the movies so recently, and we obviously see that poll saying, oh, it's huge. It makes a big difference. If you are someone who doesn't want to go through all 18 movies like Dean did, um, you I was can, determined. I, I would I would say I would say uh, the key ones that you need to see are Avengers, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Uh, Captain America Civil War, and Thor Ragnarok. I would yeah. say if you needed to s just try and do the short, you know, s ch Cliff Notes version, see those four before you see Cliff Notes anymore. was actually a lifesaver. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to jump into our spoilers now. If you've not seen this and you want to see it, click out and then click back at the end as we run down our ways to connect with us and we wrap the show. I guess I'll start with you, Champ. I know you kind of had a way that you wanted to kick this off uh, intentionally. Well, we mentioned how literally this is a direct lead-in um, from Thor Ragnarok. At the end of Thor Ragnarok, uh, we see uh, the survivors from the Asgardian demise, and they come across the ship, which is Thanos' ship. Uh, the first shot of this movie, we see Asgardians being killed, dominated. Thor's already been captured. Loki's there. Heimdall's there. I think that this first scene, and we find out that Thor and Loki are not going to make it out of this first scene. So right away, two of our characters, that are, particularly in Heimdale Loki... Heimdale and Loki. Heimdale. Sorry. Thank you for correcting my Norwegian Well, I just didn't want anybody to think Thor was done in the first scene. Did I say Thor? You said Thor. Oh, I did that when we were practicing, too. Sorry. Yes. Heimdale and Loki um, are killed. They don't make it out of this first scene. Um, so I think what is important about this is why they decided to do this is one to thin the herd because we're going to have a lot of people that we need to get to. And two, I think it, they really wanted to show right away how big and bad Thanos was. He wasn't just this run of the mill villain that was going to come in and, and, and do nothing. Um, and it, I think it's important. Loki had sort of run his course within the universe. You know, he had been in the, he was the bad guy in the first Avengers. He had been through the three Thor films. You know, he was the bad guy. Then he sort of became an anti-hero. Then here we see him completely redeem himself and come for a circle. What else was there for Loki to do? Yeah, I, th I think that's a fair question. Sam, any, any points on that first scene? Oh, yeah. We find out how powerful Thanos is and hence why I'm Thanos. Because <laughs> you're the most powerful member of... Of the SDFP. He definitely isn't eating corn and chicken wraps <laughs> in the theater, I'll tell you that much. Well, what I, what I will say about this, what I will say about this, Champ, is um, I think that this scene, you, you made a good point, establishes they're upping the ante in this film. I mean, we have not seen 
a lot of major characters die. Ever, I mean, really. look, in the 18 films, how many big characters have died? Think about them. It, Phil Coulson? I feel like we always see... We <laughs> I mean, always see don't be ripping on Phil Coulson. No, I'm not, but he's not, you know, there are a lot of, like, secondary characters. The villains almost always get killed and maybe a side character. This film ups the ante. Um, you know, you know it, it, what they do in terms of death for our heroes, it completely changes in this film. Before the shocking ending, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, we saw some big names meet their end throughout. I mean, we saw Loki die. Gamora dies. Vision dies. They're all killed in this film before the ending, and we're all led to assume that they are dead. Um, I mean, that you know, that's raising the stakes, champ. I think we all kind of felt that. Before we move on, can we talk about Thor and company? Uh, if we assume that the timeline is correct, they just got on this ship. And just got through fighting his crazy sister and the hundred foot wolf Who stabbed and the, the destruction of Asgard, and now seconds later they get yeah. taken out by uh, Thanos. by Thanos. Talk about a rough twenty four hours. Well, it was rough, and, and I saw the the, the Ragnarok <laughs> stinger where they literally take off into space with all of Asgard on that ship, and they they fly up and they come face to face with Thanos. And the next yeah. scene we see in Avengers Infinity War is an Asgardian with his tongue sticking out yeah. like being controlled by uh, Thanos. Yeah, so it wasn't anyways, a long run for him, was yeah. it? So anyways, <laughs> talk about being like, hey, we made it! Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyways, a shocking way to start the movie. You know, you're bound when you have all of these films, you're bound to have characters with similarities and with traits that compare. And you're also bound as fans to compare and contrast certain heroes and characters. And I think that the filmmakers succeeded big time in connecting characters that are similar. There was a great scene where Iron Man and Doctor Strange meet for the first time. You've got two arrogant superheroes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't see Doctor Strange, but I did a little reading. And, and I understand that he and, and Tony Stark have some big time similarities in their personalities. To see them kind of clash, to see the, the jabs and the jokes thrown between the two was awesome. Their back and forth banter was hilarious. Also, Thor meets Quill for the first time, Star-Lord. You know, Quill is kind of instantly jealous of Thor. Thor is like his, like, the same but greater. He's kind of the big bearded guy who's stronger, faster, more muscular, more tone. And in real life, Chris Pratt and Chris Hemsworth are always confused and compared in exactly. real life too so it was funny to see him like are you deepening your voice you know like that, that was <laughs> yeah that was, that was hilarious i thought that those moments in the first half this hour, is how i talk that's yeah i mean that was great those moments in the first half hour where we see those characters meet for the first time that brought a lot of humor to the film that was a big success yeah, a cool parent like thor ends up with groot and rocket dr strange star lord and iron man end up together you know cap and black panther yeah, it was just really cool to see all the heroes sort of come together in weird combinations as they're traveling the Marvel Universe. Um, and, it, and it's cool when they're actually getting into these fights, how to see like how their individual skills complement each other. You know, obviously your tactics are different yeah. if you're fighting with Hulk than if you're <laughs> fighting with Iron Man or Black Widow or Doctor or Strange. Iron Man Hulk. Yeah, the Hulk Buster. <laughs> yes. Hulk in the Iron Man. That too. was great. Um, so, you know, I, I, like, I really like the sort of... Rant. You never knew who was going to end up with right. him. And that... Off to, to jump off that is what kind of disappointed me when the film was is that Tony Stark and Captain America never meet up. They never see each other. And it was kind of made a point in the film, oh, we're not on speaking terms or we don't yeah. talk. And I really thought that they would play into that going into the rest of the film. Like, all right, yeah, we get it. You guys don't talk, but you're Avengers. At some point you're going to make up. Fight the world, kick ass. I, I beat think Thanos. they're. I think they're probably saving that for the second. <clears throat> and one. that's going to be a big and, reunion when well, Cap and Iron Man finally meet up. And after we saw the ending, I was like, you know, uh, okay, makes more sense now. But that was just kind of like my thing was like, I really wish they would have saw each other because they hate each other. Let's oh, that's be honest. fair. And well, I love well, it. Well, last we saw them in Civil War, they were literally <clears throat> almost trying to kill each other. Right, and so, I just, and, you know, it's the best relationship in the MCU. Is Iron Man and Captain America, no doubt. Just, yep. just, just the two of them. So they're the yin and yang, two different philosophies, yeah, two different ways of thinking, two different ways of going about their meatball. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that because spaghetti and meatballs <laughs> go great together. But oh, more like peanut butter and ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Thirty packets of ketchup. Well, um, guys, we're kind of, and I know you want to do this kind of chronologically go through it. So I, I, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of you here, Champ, but I think much of the middle of the film, once we get through those interactions introductions is spent on our villain Thanos uh, we learn so much about his history his life and most importantly we learn about his motivations 
he has a reason that he wants to wipe out half the universe. He doesn't want people to be poor and kids to go hungry. And, you know, it's important to learn about him because I think it's an attempt to fix the mistake of so many other Marvel films where you have these surface-level, superficial superheroes, or sorry, supervillains. And Champ, you made a comment when we reviewed Tomb Raider, which just stuck with me. You have these bad guys who are just bad for no reason. And you even have some of those in Marvel, and you can't have that if you really want to create a great villain. Loki was great, and I think Thanos, in this case, is well-established. Well, and not to mention that... Thanos hasn't, he's just appeared in like stingers or cutscenes at the very end, so we haven't had time yeah. to learn about him or, as a villain. Yeah. But why did that dude look like Davy Jones so much? It just it irritated me how much that that villain looked like. <laughs> he referred uh, to the guy who was referred to as Squidward by Cap, uh, by Iron Man, which rightfully is another so. great freaking line. Rightfully uh, so. Yeah. Definitely mean, some parallels there, but... That guy gets it. sucked out of a yeah, space window, done. so who cares about him? So Thanos, going back to establishing him as a villain, um, super important. And even though I don't know if I really buy his motivation, he's still like a crazy genocidal purple guy. Uh, Grimace, <laughs> as yeah, yeah. someone else calls him. I told you there was a ton of humor um, in this But I'm glad they spent time on and I'm also glad they spent time on his relationship with Gamora. That's right. the most because, important Because part. that... You know, we learned from her in the first Guardians that, you know, she was raised by Thanos. And then they touch on it more in the second Guardians. And that really ends up being, like, the the key heartbeat of this whole first movie, that yeah. relationship. Gamora, Gamora dies. He sacrifices her. Um, speaking of Gamora, I was starting to get a little bit nervous, literally from the start, when they started putting so much focus on her, which makes sense in the construct of the story, that they would do that with Thanos. But because, you know, she's not the character you would think would get a ton of screen time coming into this jam-packed movie. And once that started happening, I started was like, she's done for. She's well, gone. And I think it was important, though, that they, they established that Thanos does indeed have a soul and cares for somebody else. Because if I recall correctly, he could not obtain the soul stone unless right. he sacrificed somebody he loved. And Gamora even says, you don't love anybody. Too bad you're not going to get the soul stone. Oh, he turns around, he's, he's crying, and yeah. we find out, no, he did love her. It's this weird, protective, genocidal father, but he did love her, and that relationship is big in making him a more meaningful villain. He's, like, obsessed with balance and equilibrium. He keeps talking about it. In his eyes, killing half the planet, help, or half the universe, helps because bring balance to the universe. Uh, it's starvation, kind of a, and he said, like, when he killed her... When he was explaining to Gamora about the whole why he when did it. When he killed it, her people. Yeah. He was like, well, look where they're at now. They're in, you know, paradise. And, and, and while we're, before we move off Thanos, Josh Brolin, perfect, I think, for the for the role. He, his sort of thunderous voice is perfect for this huge, muscular, purple guy. Um, and he also did motion capture uh, on set for okay. Thanos. So Josh Brolin really embodied this guy. Um, before we move off characters, I just wanted to mention that I think this movie does a really good job utilizing side characters within the plot and giving them important things to do. Um, just some examples. Groot sort of provides the end to Thor's axe. Um, you know, Mantis uh, sort of distracts Thanos in that moment. Uh, yeah, thanks when they, a lot, Quill. Yeah, Quill blew that. But Nebula uh, is caught by Thanos and gives... Gamora's secret away. You know, she was the only one that knew that she knew where to find the Soul Stone. Scarlet Witch is the only one who has the ability to destroy the stone in Vision's head. Vision has it in his head. Um, even Shuri, the Black Panther's sister, yeah. um, is tasked with extracting yeah. the stone. Even Heimdall, who I think has one line in this, manages to send Hulk back to Earth through the Bifrost. So I think these side characters, they... Maybe they don't talk as much and don't get as much screen time, but I think that the Russos do a good job at least giving them something important to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that what's really cool is is, is how they work together. And you realize this guy is a badass villain with, you know, uh, eventually all six Infinity Stones. They have to be creative and come up with the ways that they use their powers to, you know, to really uh, defeat him. I mean, they mm -hmm. have to be strategic in this. And I think that... I think it did do a good job of meshing all of the characters together. I, I do agree with that. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about with particular characters before Spider-Man we... Sue. 
Yeah, that's badass. He got a new suit that was absolutely. He like, got Doc Ock legs. Yeah, what the heck was that? Like this that was a, that was a of, nice twist. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, I guess is that going to come out with Venom? I guess this is probably a good time, guys, to talk about Captain America. I mean, I'll be honest. I went into this without any research beyond seeing those 18 films. I didn't know that this was a part one of a part two. And obviously you realize it afterwards. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, Captain America, he was like an action set piece. Black Panther, action set piece. They had very, very little that they did. There were no moments that were really meaningful with them. I mean, that th th battle takes place in Wakanda. Well, but... they saved uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision in uh, Scotland. They showed up and saved them. I thought that was a pretty badass entrance when Cap and well, yeah, and, but they uh, were part of an action Scarlet set, action shows up. set piece, though. I mean, there weren't like those well, moments. Like I said, I think that that has a lot to do with the fact that a lot of this story happened on the Cosmos. It's Thanos' first yeah. appearing. I think yeah. it was more of a focus on those characters. I think the second one is going to take place largely on Earth. And you thus, think. I would think that would be more for Black Panther and Cap to do. Yeah, and I, like I'm said, you know, like I said, I just think that if you're a big fan of Captain America, or you go there to watch Black Panther. There's a Black Panther is a huge following. You're kind of like, man. It, it was inevitable that some characters are going to get the short end of the right. stick, and I think that group, the ones uh, you know, Cap, Falcon, all of them, sort of are the ones that definitely uh, got the short end of the stick. Other sort of just random points red skull shows up again uh yeah. as sort of the keeper of the stone of course he was the bad guy in the first captain america um, and peter dinklage shows up as the sort of dwarf that helps make the uh the hammer i sort of love just these little these characters that maybe we didn't know were going to show up uh popping in and out of the movie yeah i mean yeah th obviously they they I, like we've said i think that they did the best they could with all the characters they had and in introducing them um, if you guys don't mind, I, I kind of want to talk about, you know, what I mentioned before. There's so much action, right? I mean, there are just, there's, there's, it feels like 45 minutes of straight action sequences at one point. Um, and, and while I'm a little critical of that, and I'll explain that, the best moments were not in, in the action. The best moments here were outside the battle scenes and the one-on-ones between these characters. And I think of three in particular. You know, Wanda, she kills Vision, the, the, the guy she loves, to destroy the Mind Stone so that Thanos can't get it. Spider-Man dies in Iron Man's arms. We know their relationship's well established. Oh, Thanos kills Gamora. I mean, there are some really powerful scenes, mostly happening within the last half hour or so. Those were the most compelling moments of the film, and, and I had it in my notes here, the last half hour was just stunning. That was the best part of the whole movie. I agree that those are great moments, but in my opinion, the best scene was when the battle in Wakanda is first starting, when, you know, Wakanda forever, and they all charge, and Cap and Black Panther are running out ahead, and the monster, I mean, maybe I'm just more of an action set-piece yeah. fan than you. I thought that was the most compelling scene of the movie, honestly, yeah, I mean, that whole battle. It was a sweet battle, I just, you had kind of these generic villains, characters, creatures, and I always find it, I always find it the most compelling when the big characters clash. And well, in that case, you've just got these creatures that are running through the barrier. I don't know what these things are other than that they're there to help Thanos. No, I agree. They're a little generic. One thing about the, the CGI action set pieces, one thing I like that the filmmakers were clearly putting an emphasis on is that the heroes that have... These are a wide-ranging group of heroes from wizards to space people to you know just really smart humans to people like the Hulk who can't control what they're doing. I liked how mm. heroes were overmatched at certain points, or certain they showed how certain heroes couldn't stack up with other ones. You know, uh, there's a scene when Doctor Strange is going at it with Thanos, and Spider Man's just jumping around from thing to thing, just catching Jet Drax and uh, uh, Mantis, and be like, "I got you, I got you," because yeah. they can't do anything in that situation. Yeah. So I do like that how there was an emphasis on sort of like the tiered of skills. It was it was more realistic in that. Well, uh, yeah. I've always wondered <laughs> throughout all the other films, how the hell is Hawkeye still alive? The dude shoots bow and arrows. That's it. How he's not sure died so. is astonishing to me, but your I point's do, well taken. I do like how, too, you were saying like how uh, the Hulk can't control what he's doing. Well, in this sense, it's kind of reversed. Like, yeah. Hulk, come on, what you doing in there, little guy? Like, come on. They use Banner a lot. Uh, you know, He sort of fades into the background at the end, but they use him a lot in the beginning to sort of set things up and explain things. And he's, yeah. the, he's the character we sort of follow 
through the start of it. One thing that, I don't know if it's a detriment or a good thing, but whenever, like, a character would get in trouble or someone it looked like they were going to die, because we have so many characters in this movie, someone could always come to the rescue. You know, how many entrances did we have where a hero would pop in and then the music would rise and they would sort of stand up and it'd be like, yes, I'm Iron Man and I'm here, or I'm Captain America and I'm here. Like, that happened so many times in this movie. Well, I, I some of my favorite moments in the, the Marvel films are when, you know, Iron Man drops to the to the ground with like Thunderstruck playing. Those are great, um, but yeah, I think no, I, I think it actually is maybe a bit of a detriment because I do think some of the best moments are when it's one on one. There's nothing else there, and you've got some really cool teamwork scenes as they try to kill Thanos. But some of those scenes where you kind of have to lay it all on the line, um, that's powerful. One one last thing before we that I just have to mention before we get to the the ending uh i love how rocket um had an eye for thor that he could give him and how he was interested in bucky barnes's arm because they totally set that up in both of the guardians of the galaxy movies where rocket just steals body parts because it's amusing to him yeah and they totally played that into this movie which i thought was hilarious so Um, anything else before we get into the ending that you really like because i've got some bad but i'll wait till after the ending no i mean you guys hit on a lot of the key points, I would say. Um, for me, like I said, the one thing I just didn't like was that, you know, and I think Champ is right as well, and maybe you, you said something about it too, is how they're saving it for the next film. Like you said, I didn't know going in that there was going to be a part two. Um, I was kind of thinking that it would just be, you know, we would hear something. A lot of people that I've talked to that watched the film were like, you're going to be blown away, like, you have no idea, you know, kind of trying to give it away, but without giving it away, so it kind of, like, was like, what, what are they talking about? I was totally expecting the cliff tang- cliffhanger, so I, I expected something that was going to be like, oh, they're going to leave us, and that's called marketing. Yeah. <laughs> they want oh, us yeah, to come yeah. back for the next one. Yeah, and I think, look, well, I'm never, job. never person who says, hey, raise my hand, sign me up for a part one and part two. Right? I mean, nobody, like, it's hard, it's hard to, you made a point. The executives at Disney and Marvel Studios would disagree with you. (laughs) Well, I mean, but what what in Disney is part one and part two? You've got, you know, individual films, Toy Story 1, 2, 3. Yeah, but think about any blockbuster. The last Harry Potter was two parts. The last, uh, the last Hunger Games was two parts. Yep. They're trying to capitalize and make money. I agree. And the part two is always, I don't know, I think to some degree... You know, you said you have to judge a film on, you know, do you have to judge it on its own? Does it stand alone? And I think for the sake of this, we have to. And I think that, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to totally judge a movie that is going to end that way. But I will say all that said, if you're going to end it on a cliffhanger and the way that they did it was just stunning. Well, we should probably say here, there's a huge death count by the end of this thing. We already mentioned Loki, Heimdall, Gamora, and Vision, who we think are probably gone for good. The Collector is kind of a question mark, played by Benicio Del Toro. We saw him sort of fake getting killed. I guess we can assume that maybe he was already killed. Yeah, his planet was destroyed. Um, Yeah, uh, but also, here we go, T'Challa, Spider-Man, Drax, Mantis, Star-Lord, Doctor Strange, Groot, Wanda Maximoff, Bucky Barnes, Falcon, Nick Fury, and Maria Hill are all, for our purposes right now, dead. Yeah. They uh, turned into dust because Thanos uh, uh, activated the Infinity Gauntlet and half of the universe disintegrated. Um, so literally that's uh, half of the Avengers killed at the end of this movie, which obviously is a shocking moment. Yeah, I mean, I would said it right before you laid out that list. I thought that... If you are going to do a cliffhanger, there's no better way to do it. You reference like Hunger Games, and I didn't think that, that was a great cliffhanger. It's hard to do a part one and a part two. It's hard to end the part one, you know, because it's not going to feel conclusive. But I think the way they did this, it was almost stunning. And, and it, it worked well because Thanos got what he accomplished. But you know more is going to happen. It was the right way and the right time to end it. And I think if most people think about it, knowing the context and sort of 
the meta sort of look at this is we have a Marvel Cinematic Universe that is going to keep going. There's no way you can eliminate characters such as Black Panther, Spider-Man, all the Guardians except for Rocket. These are characters that are going to be expected to yeah. carry the Marvel Cinematic Universe forward. So logical thinking says somehow this is going to get reversed. But I do think those ones we mentioned, Heimdall, Loki, yeah. Gamora, Vision, I think they are probably are gone for good. And it's worth noting that Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor are all still alive. Loki always makes a way to come back, though. I swear, that guy, yeah, like... Yeah, that's true. He would... He, I don't know who he is. He's like David <laughs> yeah. Blaine, dude. I guess at this point we shouldn't count Loki out, but I will say I will be a little disappointed if Loki comes back. Yeah, I mean, I get, what, I, I agree with what you're saying, but it seems like that guy always weasels his way back in well, somewhere. Well, he's he's the god of mischief, yeah. so he's, yeah. and he's Makes already sense. come back a couple times. But like I said, I think his cor- story has sort of run its course, but we'll see what happens. So obviously we've woven in things we really liked, a few things we didn't like, you know, throughout. If you guys are ready, I'm going to kind of jump into one critique I had. Um, Critique it, bud. Well, I told you guys I watched 18 or 16 (laughs) Marvel films, so I don't think it's necessarily fair to compare this to other Marvel films, but inherently that's what you're going to do. And I just don't feel like this quite had the heart of other films. And Champ, you said maybe it's because they'd already established these characters. But, you know, I, I thought origin stories like Iron Man and Captain America, where you're establishing characters that has more heart and helps you care about the characters. When you spend so much time on so many different heroes, it's hard to chronicle their emotions and their growth over the course of a film. Now, my favorite Marvel film is probably Captain America's Civil War, and the reason behind that is twofold. You know, we'd already learned a lot about Iron Man and Captain America, but we spend so much more time with them, learning about the two best characters in Marvel. And also, it's thought-provoking. It makes you think. We're asked some tough questions, like how would the Avengers fit in the modern world? How are they perceived by the general public? How does each character and their views and beliefs mesh together and the clash that results because of that? I thought that it featured some epic battle scenes in Civil War, but it also raised some real-world questions about our comic book superheroes. And because of that, you know, that was something I kind of was comparing it to in terms of did it do that? Did it have... Not only the battle and the action, but, you know, make you think and have characters develop and grow and change and clash, and it didn't do that. Yeah, but if we've already seen that in Captain America Civil War, why would they do it again in Infinity War? This is supposed to be a continuity that's already happened. Yeah. I think that movie, what you're talking about, definitely deals with those questions and is concerned with what the outside world is doing. Infinity War, to me, is a story that's about the superheroes and the superheroes alone. It's a, it's a movie that takes place in the superhero world. It's not really concerned with what those questions are, because those have already been covered. I don't disagree. I actually 100% agree. I understand why they did what they did. It doesn't mean that I don't think it's worse because of it. No, mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, before we move on to our final points, uh, I want to talk about the stinger real quick. Nick Fury shows up uh, with Maria Hill before they disintegrate. Um, obviously, they see that Thanos is... That's sort of our one glimpse into the sort of real-world impact yeah. uh, is that we see that everyone's happening. And then he sends a quick message to someone for help. And I had to Google this one. That logo is uh, Captain Marvel's uh, logo that he sent, who is, of course, going to be played by Brie Larson. She's going to show up in the Marvel Cinematic okay. Universe sooner rather than later. <laughs> so uh, more characters being introduced. But I do think one thing that that did beyond that is gave it maybe give us a sort of like glimmer of hope. This is right after we've seen all of our heroes disintegrate into dust. I think the stinger is sort of like, okay, well, this isn't over yet, so stick with us. That was sort of like a ended on a positive note. Yeah. Maybe. All right, you guys ready to get to those last thoughts and the, the ratings? Let's do it. All right, I'm going to start it off. Look, guys, I mean, this movie was just loved by the general public. There was so much about it I loved. I think if I'm coming across as critical, it's just because everybody knows what was really good. And I think it's, I'm making a point of finding, pointing out the things that I didn't enjoy quite as much. But all that said, uh, ultimately, this was a visual stunner. The things that it lacked, I think you're right, Champ. It didn't really have any other choice. It established them. Um, ultimately, this was top three, maybe top five of the Marvel films for me. And uh, I gave it an eight out of ten. So I know I sounded critical, but I mean, this was a really, really mm-hmm. good film. I'm kind of nitpicking with my criticisms. I would have to give it an eight, too. Um, just based off that it wasn't my favorite. I would do probably the seven and a half. We don't do those anymore. Um, 
but just because it wasn't my favorite Marvel's film, and maybe I'll like the second part two more, and yeah. maybe I'll even like part one more after I see part two. Um, yeah. It just like I said with you, it didn't clash. I didn't like the fact that they didn't Tony Stark and Captain America didn't get to meet. Saving it for part two, I don't know. That's it's it's an eight for me. It's still a good film. I do suggest and re, you know recommend everyone to go see it if you're into the Marvel universe because it will explain a lot and yeah you will be entertained. I, high 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 expectations for me on this one. Um, obviously coming in, I don't know if there's been a film that's been this hyped uh, maybe in our lifetime. Um, the fact that they pulled it off at all with the sort of amount of characters and the storylines that they had to do, and the fact that they brought all this together is just cool to see. To see the meshing of the characters, to see mm -hmm. the personalities clash. The CGI battles are incredible in this movie. There's some really heartfelt moments, maybe not as much as you would have liked, Devin, but I, I thought that there was enough, and I liked all the action. I mean, this is an action movie. This is the culmination of 10 years' worth of stuff. Um, I was into it, despite the, the long run time. Not my favorite Marvel movie either, um, but I'm right there with you guys. Uh, I'm giving it an eight, and uh, if you like comic books at all, you definitely got to go see this movie. You know, at the end of the day, guys, we uh, we all ended up giving it an eight out of ten. We really liked it, and I'm really anxiously awaiting uh, the next Avengers film. Before we let you go, Champ, let's run down how to connect with the SDFP. Yeah, on Facebook, Second Day Film Podcast. Just go ahead and search it in your little bar there. Same thing on SoundCloud and iTunes. We'd love a rating and a review. On Twitter, Second Day Film, it's all written out. Email secondayfilm at gmail.com. And check out our website, secondayfilm.com. Of course, you know, track me down. I'm usually carrying my pocket full of business cards. There you go. So, the popcorn correspondent's got the cards. Hey, thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the movies. Find me near a popcorn machine near you. Mm -hmm.